0: All right, we can turn in our Bibles again to Revelation chapter 18. This morning looking at verses 1 through 8. As we continue our verse-by-verse study of the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John. And the title of our message this morning is Don't Be Like the World. We talked about this in Sunday school also in our study of Proverbs, and this is a, a theme that is often repeated in the scriptures because it is such an easy trap for us to follow in, or to fall into as Christians. It's the trap that is laid for us to allow our experiences to shape who we are uh, in this world and to allow the world to shape our thinking and our actions it's very easy for us to become like the world that is around us. Uh, most of us have a, have a desire, not everybody, but most people have a desire to be accepted by the people who are around them. And, and we may even see people who dress in weird clothes or have uh, strange hair colors and this kinds of thing and think, oh, that person's different. But uh, are they really, though? Because there's probably a whole group of whoever they are with who look exactly the same way that they do. They're just trying to be accepted by a different group of people. So our our tendency as humans is to kind of blend in with uh, the world around us. And this can be a good thing if we're blending in with God and His Word and people who are who are like that, but it can also, of course, be a very bad thing. We can become just like the world and that easily leads us into sin. And as believers, we are called to be different from the world. We are called to be separated from the world, although we are called to live in this world also. It's kind of a dichotomy Two things that are opposing one another in the scriptures. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. This is what an ambassador is supposed to do anyway. A great example uh, for us in the world of politics. Uh, that's why Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ in this world, because we are representing a foreign entity, in this world. See, ambassadors aren't supposed to go to China or Iran or whatever uh, for America and become Iranians. <laughs> they are to represent the the policies and the the good things about America to a foreign country. A perfect example of what we are doing. In the Christian life and a perfect example of what God is going to desire for future people in the tribulation to do concerning Babylon that we read about already. He is calling them out of that city of Babylon to and it is for their own protection And make no mistake, God doesn't uh, call us to not be of the world and, and these kinds of things because he just wants to control us and he wants us to be miserable and he doesn't want us to have any friends. No, he is doing that for our own protection even today, just like he's going to do in the future. And that is what we are studying in Revelation In the book of Revelation, this revelation of Jesus Christ, we are studying, it is a book primarily about the future, and that's where we find ourselves in our study, studying the future, this future seven-year tribulation period. But as we have seen, and will of course see today, this has like direct application to us living in this world today. Even though it's talking about future events, and that future event that we are learning about is the destruction of the city of Babylon. And uh, and in verses one through eight of chapter eighteen, really, chapters seventeen and eighteen are all about the this future city of Babylon and its future destruction essentially. And we're going to see today that there are, there is this warning concerning believers who live in the city of Babylon during this future period, and the reasons for the destruction. It's very important for us to remember that Revelation 17 and 18 is really all one portion of Scripture, the, that chapter division can kind of get in our, in, our, in our way in understanding what is being said here. It is all one theme and the theme is this future city of Babylon and how it is going to be destroyed. And so we are seeing the destruction of this city Babylon is a city represented by this woman who is riding on this beast. very All of these points are important for us to remember because you're going to hear a lot of uh, different ideas concerning who the harlot is and these kinds of things. But the text tells us the woman riding on the beast is a city. Revelation 17, 18, the woman whom you saw is the great city. And the city has a name, and the name of that city is Babylon. The city is the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. We're going to see that's why these ideas are repeated throughout these two chapters because this is an important aspect of this future city. It is going to be the headquarters of this one world government, that is going to control the earth. Daniel called it a fourth beast. He described four beasts. The fourth one will be a kingdom that encompasses the entire world. And here, a mystery is being revealed to us that it is going to be Babylon. And there's nothing in this text that should lead us to believe that it's anything other than Babylon a geographical place on the planet that's in what we think of today as Iraq is the country where Babylon is. And there are all kinds of theories about what Babylon is but the text tells us that it's a city in modern day Iraq. Not America, not Washington D.C., not New York City, not Rome, not uh, Mecca. No, it's Babylon, as it is described here. Yes, there is a lot of figurative language in the text, but the text tells us when it is figurative, and nine times out of ten, it tells us what the figure is. Like, for example, the seven heads on this beast are seven mountains, and they are seven kings. It specifically tells us that the heads represent kings and that this uh beast is going to be a seventh kingdom and this one will dominate the entire world this beast also has 10 horns verse 12 of revelation 17 the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom so there's no reason for us to go back in history and try to figure out 10 kings no these are ten future kings, who have not yet received authority, but they will. But they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. The, the, describing the world in the future is going to be divided essentially into ten kingdoms. These ten kings are going to have rule over the earth, and they're going to give their authority over to the antichrist, according to verse. 13 uh, of Revelation 17. But this city, Babylon, is going to be destroyed. And there are uh, a warning and reasons for that destruction. That's what we're going to see today. This uh, Chapter 18, verses 1 through 18, or or 1 through 8, and really the entirety of chapter 18 continues the the look at the downfall of this city named Babylon. Uh, And today we're going to see the cataclysm, the calling, and the critique. The fact that this city is going to fall, there's going to be great destruction, but God as he oftentimes does, gives a warning ahead of time calling people out of this city, and then we get the critique which will describe to us the reasons, reiterate again the reasons, as if maybe God is trying to emphasize the reasons why he is judging this city. At the end of the passage, well, we begin with the cataclysm, notice Revelation 18, Verses one through three again, it says, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison for every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Notice it says there, uh, after these things, another angel comes. And and John says, I saw another angel uh, coming down. Notice uh, first off that he is an eyewitness of these things. Uh, We'll have more on that uh, shortly. John repeat he's been repeating this idea of hearing things, seeing things again. Verse four: I heard another voice. We'll see this again later. He is an eyewitness to these events that are being revealed. To him. After these things, after what things? Well, the destruction of Babylon. That's what we saw in Revelation 17, and the theme is continuing into 18. This isn't a different Babylon. This isn't uh, two destructions of Babylon. No, it's the same Babylon. It's the same name for the city. The same sins are mentioned. The same destruction is mentioned. It's all one package, all one description of the downfall of this city called Babylon. Uh, And then that, so that brings up the question of, well, who is this angel? After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. And essentially there are two schools of thought. One is that this is actually Jesus Christ who's coming down Basically, uh, based on the idea that this angel has great authority, and notice the end of verse 1, the earth was illumined with his glory. that That's a great amount of glory that this angel is uh, emitting, if you will. Remember that term for angel, angelos is the Greek term. Oftentimes, sometimes, at least, uh translated as messenger we've already seen in revelation that it that it is used to refer to the pastors of the various churches back in revelation 2 and 3 so it's angelos the greek term does not always mean Uh, what we think of as angels I have heard on high that we just sang about. It doesn't always refer to created beings who fly around with wings and do things that angels do. Uh, It can refer to Christ. It can refer to a person who is a messenger. And so some will see that this is Christ Christ based on the great authority and the illumination of his glory that is seen here. Some will say, well, no, uh, it wouldn't be Christ because it refers to him as with the term another angel. And so it's, it's putting this angel on the same level as the other angels that we've already seen, and that wouldn't be an accurate description of Christ. I will leave that to you to decide. We all have freedom in Christ to Kind of come to conclusions on various points that aren't perfectly clear in in the scripture. Uh, there are good points for both of these. However, uh, personally, I'd probably lean toward it being Christ. Uh, verse ten or chapter ten, verse one. We saw a similar description, if you'll remember. I saw another John says I saw another a an- strong angel coming down out of heaven clothed with a cloud and the rainbow was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire and it goes on to describe the little book that he had and that is a pretty good description of Christ and use the same term angelos so I would lean towards this being Christ but wouldn't uh wouldn't start a new church over it to say to say the least. Uh both both have their good points. But notice that this angel is describing or uh proclaiming the complete destruction of the city of Babylon. Verse 2 he cried out with a mighty voice saying fallen fallen is Babylon the great She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. This is language to describe the complete, utter, ultimate, end-all destruction of the city of Babylon. And it uses very similar language to what the Old Testament prophets used to describe this same event, the end times destruction of the city of Babylon. Now, why would the Old Testament prophets, you can see, there's a number of verses on the screen there, Isaiah 13, Isaiah 34, uh, Jer- Jeremiah 50 Zephaniah chapter 2 uh, this is a theme that is very prominent in the Old Testament why would they why would Jewish prophets be so concerned with the destruction of Babylon well as we have been studying the Bible is essentially telling the the story of how not the story but the account would be a better term the account of how God fixes the problem of sin in the world. And essentially it comes down to the world rebelling against God and having as its headquarters a city that is called Babylon. That began at Genesis chapter 11. The rest of the Bible describes how the world rebels against God, what God does to Uh, save us essentially through the person of Jesus Christ and how God desires to live with humanity upon this earth. That's why he created it, so that we could live with him. But he cannot uh, live with sin so he's going to solve that problem for us. Part of the solving of that problem is the utter destruction of this city where the rebellion all began, which is Babylon. Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 19. Isaiah says and Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. I I don't see too many people having vacations to Sodom and Gomorrah anymore. It doesn't exist. That's what the point is. It will never, Babylon, speaking of here, Isaiah says, it will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there, but desert creatures will lie down there and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches also will live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers, and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her fateful time also will come, and her days will not be prolonged. Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 50, verse 39, speaking of the destruction of Babylon. Therefore, the desert creatures will live there along with the jackals. The ostriches will also live in it. And it will never again be inhabited or dwelt in from generation to generation. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, declares the Lord, no man will live there, nor will any son of man reside in it. That has never happened in the the earth's history. Babylon is not a prominent city today. However, people live there. Saddam Hussein back in the late 90s tried to rebuild it, if you'll remember. Before we uh, the United States invaded in 2003 I believe it was, he was literally rebuilding the city of Babylon to become a, a, a great Empire again. That was kind of his goal. Uh, People lived there. People lived in the city. You can read about the Persians uh, conquering Babylon in the book of Daniel. They did not destroy it so that people will never live there again. In fact, the Jewish people lived in Babylon, they wrote a Talmud in Babylon. It's called the Babylonian Talmud. It's from about A.D. 1000. A thousand years after Christ, Jewish people were living in Babylon and writing books. Uh, Historical fact. This has never been fulfilled. Don't let anybody uh, try to convince you that oh that's that's in the past that's already that's already happened. Babylon was destroyed in six hundred b c or or whatever. no, this has never happened to the extent that is described in the old and New Testament uh and so again, we're reminded that the book of that we should not look at the book of revelation exclusive from. The Old Testament. That is a a bad mistake in uh, interpretation that people do. Because if you do that, you could come away with the idea that, well, Israel really isn't important. It doesn't play a role in the end times because, well, Israel really isn't mentioned by name all that much in the book of Revelation. We have seen that there's a great shift in kind of the language we have a lot of church descriptions in chapters 2 and 3 and there's none of that anymore and then we start to hearing about prophets and miracles and a temple and kind of very Jewish things later on. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that Israel is yes, very involved in the Old Testament times. God is destroying Babylon And he is using the same language in Revelation that he used in the Old Testament prophets, speaking of this total destruction so that people will not inhabit it anymore. And even this idea of the the unclean animals and unclean birds living in the city. Same language that was used by the prophets to encourage the nation of Israel in their uh, exile, if you will. Many of these. The, the, Isra- the Israelite people were exiled from the land because of their disobedience. God used these foreign nations, Babylon in particular, to, uh, to disperse them from the land. God encourages the Israelite people by promising them that one day this city that just kicked you out of your land, is going to be utterly, completely destroyed. So that should remind us that Revelation has to do with the future the same way that the Old Testament talks about the future. Here's another piece of evidence that we disregard Israel in the future to our own peril concerning the book of Revelation. Jesus gave a discourse before he went to the cross. It's called the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 and 25 primarily and that discourse is about the tribulation period that we're studying in the book of Revelation and it is directed to Israelites. His discourse is there. Specifically, the coming of the kingdom. All of these concepts tie together, and we have 2,000 years of church history of kind of just being focused on ourselves and the church, and oh, Israel's gone, they're not important anymore, but God's word has given the nation of Israel a lot of promises that haven't been fulfilled, and one of them is a kingdom with Jesus, the son of David, an Israelite, ruling from his throne in Jerusalem, a city that is in Israel over the kingdom of the entire world. Yes, the book of Revelation very much has to do with the nation of Israel and the fulfillment of God's promises to her, one of which is the complete and total destruction of Babylon in such a way that no one will ever live there again. That is just the words on the page. And why is God going to do this? As I mentioned before, it is his plan that he will live in fellowship with people, that he wants to live with humanity, live with his creation, but he cannot abide sin. And so why is he going to destroy this city? Verse 3 of Revelation 18, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. So God has solved this problem of sin for us, spiritually speaking, on the cross, by dying for our sins, paying the penalty for our sins. We can have eternal life by trusting in him. That's the single condition. However, God wants to literally live with us, like face-to-face, like he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. And the only way he can do that is to literally eradicate sin from this earth. And so it begins with what the the NASB says here are the nations. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. But that term there uh, can be translated a couple of different ways. It's the the Greek term ethnos is there and sometimes it's referred to, uh, it's translated as people. the sins of the people you know this this sounds kind of nice oh the sins of the nations well you know well america uh, you know we're we have our downside uh, the romans you know they oh they were really sinful they did some some bad things uh the soviet union oh they they're part of the evil empire they're a really bad nation they definitely deserve god's judgment uh, and on and on, we could go and just kind of you know slough this off uh what's what 's being said here when really what God is saying, I believe is the sins of the people for all the people have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality that 's the real the real problem there and then god uh, the the text kind of expands it out from there. It's not just the people, it's their leaders, and it's the great uh, merchants of the time as well. But it all begins with the ethnos, with the people. And we kind of uh, can feel a little bit better about ourselves by making it, say, nations and thinking of it in terms of nations and America is falling away and this kinds of things, but it's you and it's me. And it's these people who are going to be living in the future. It's their sins. All the people have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. They deserve the people themselves deserve this judgment that is coming upon the world. Humanity itself has rejected Christ. That's the problem. And this sin has to be uh, dealt with. So it's not just the people, but it's also the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. The, the leadership is uh, committing sins of immorality and that of course there, if I'm not mistaken, is the, the term porneia, is the Greek term there for immorality uh and the 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 people are committing these acts of immorality the kings of the earth uh, the power and the position that they're that they are in is leading to them to commit uh these sins of immorality because of the position that they have that's uh, a very well known <laughs> problem with being in a position of authority. It oftentimes leads to sin. You any, you can look at any number of examples in the scriptures. In our everyday lives, people at the top tend to have problems in this area. Uh, notice also that it is the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality the merchants uh led into sin because of their greed and uh we can kind of see this in today's world uh i don't, it didn't i guess we if you go back to the 1800s and that kind of thing you can think of the rockefellers and uh uh i can't think of all the the various robber barons now that i'm not uh concentrating on it, Rockefellers, and who? Carnegie, Carnegie. Yeah, you, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilts, there you go. I knew I could get some help uh, at any rate. And that kind of went out of favor for a period of time, but it's coming back. I don't know if you realize that. Uh, have you ever heard of Elon Musk? <laughs> um, who's an, <laughs> Yeah, you can't uh, read the news without hearing about him today. Jeff Bezos is another one. These prominent wealthy people are like starting to control the world. Believe it or not, they're starting to control us. And everything that goes on in this world is kind of in the hands of these few people. Well, the Bible talks about that kind of being the case in the future. We have seen these merchants being mentioned. And their sins and their greed and and all of these things being punished in the end. That's why this cataclysm is going to come. It starts with the sins of the people. They're all caught up in this. The kings are caught up in this immorality as well as the merchants. And they deserve this punishment that is coming to them. We'll see in verse Six. So it begins with the cataclysm, this ultimate, final, total, complete destruction of the city of Babylon that has never happened in the past, therefore will happen in the future. But there is also a warning that comes. Revelation 18 and verse 4 says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her my people so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Uh, Again, John hears, he hears literally, audibly, another voice. He is an eyewitness to these events that are taking place. So it's a reminder that we can uh, trust what is being said to us here. John is John the apostle, is an eyewitness and notice that this voice, it says another voice from heaven saying, "Come out of her, my people." Now this, again, there's kind of uh, who is saying this? Is it God, uh, the Father? Is it Christ saying this? Uh, probably Christ come out of her, my people, uh, because God is later mentioned in verse 5, God has remembered her iniquities. Uh, so, again, uh, we're kind of left without all of the details being described to us, and that's that's okay. Whose voice is, is this? Uh, in the end, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's a voice coming from heaven, calling these people out of Babylon. And that is, in fact, that's what the warning is. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. This is an, an imperative. Come out of Babylon. Physically leave this city of Babylon because destruction is coming here. You need to leave. Otherwise, you are going to be destroyed in this uh, coming destruction. Physically separate yourself from this city. Again, a reminder that this is a physical, geographical place that is being described here, and they are to remove themselves from it. This is uh, God's kind of standard operating procedure, if you will. His, his SOP, God's SOP is to rescue his people from impending judgment. He warns them before the judgment comes. There was a guy in the past by the name of Noah who was a preacher of righteousness. According to the book of Hebrews, he did that for about 120 years He preached righteousness, warned people of impending judgment. 120 years. And the only converts he got were his own family. Everyone else perished because they would not listen to the warning that Noah was giving. Uh, God gave a warning to Lot. Hey, you need to leave uh, Sodom. You need to get out of there. It's going to be destroyed. You need to leave and not turn around. Don't go back to it. If you, w- if you do, you will be destroyed. Lot left the city, and he was saved. His wife, however, turned, looked at the city, and turned into the pillar of salt, as we know from the book of Genesis. God doesn't only do this warning for uh, believers all the time. Sometimes he warns unbelievers like in the book of Jonah where he used this prophet by the name of Jonah, sort of forced him into being his witness, if you will, for him to the people of Nineveh, warning them of impending destruction if you will turn from what you are believing now and you will believe in the God creator of the universe, I won't destroy you, God says. That was essentially Jonah's uh, message. He gave it to the people and they believed. It says in the book of Jonah, that didn't make Jonah very happy. If you get to the end of that book, Jonah is kind of sulking under a tree. Oh. God is so long suffering and nice and he didn't destroy these people and they deserve it. Uh, But they believed in him. They believed your message. You probably should have been rejoicing Jonah, but he didn't. Uh, God warned the people of Israel in the Passover time. Hey, you better put the blood of the lamb over your door because the angel of death is coming and whoever's house doesn't have it their firstborn is going to die, Uh, he warned them they were passed over and saved. So God's done this several times in the past. He's going to do it again in the future. He's going to do it for you and for me. If you are a believer in Christ, you will be rescued from the wrath that is to come. Revelation 3. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This is a promise to the church, uh, the church age believer, that you will be rescued from the tribulation that is to come. The way that God will do that is by rapturing us, catching us up from this earth, taking us back to the Father's house, according to John 14, where we will dwell with him for a period of time, and then we will come again with him when he comes to this earth. Uh, Revelation 17:14 describes Jesus coming again to this earth. The second time, he's going to overcome these people because he's Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. That is you and me. We studied that in depth, saw that all those terms, called, chosen, faithful, are synonymous with believer. Believers will be with him when he comes again. Revelation 19 and verse 14, the army, when Jesus, again, describing his second coming to the earth to establish his kingdom. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That is a description of believers. The only way that we can all be with him when he comes again to the earth is to be raptured before that event takes place. And according to Revelation three ten, that's before the tribulation begins. Uh, He's also going to. He's also already warned the nation of Israel that you better leave Jerusalem before uh, when you at because judgment is coming there. It's going to get very bad for you in the tribulation. Period after a certain point in time, and you ought to leave Jerusalem when you see this happen. Jesus. Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 and verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's the, this image of the Antichrist that we studied already in Revelation, Revelation 13. When you see it set up in the temple, that's the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. So God not only has warned people of impending judgment in the past and allowed them to escape, he will also do it in the future. Uh, And this is a wonderful reminder to us, notice closely those words, come out of her, my people, so that for the purpose of you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Sin has consequences, and God is the judge uh, and you you may find yourself. Uh, somewhere where you don't want to be when judgment comes. Uh, that overnight where I mentioned the uh, the sushi was that in Sunday school? Now I don't even I don't even remember. Yeah, haven't we all had the sushi? That was in Reno, uh, Nevada. And you know, every time I go to places and have an overnight like Los Angeles, San Francisco, in Las Vegas, I just. Uh, Many times it occurs to me, I hope today isn't the day. (laughs) I hope today isn't the day that these places are judged, places like San Francisco, because make no mistake, you mock the God of this universe and you are going to be judged at one point or another. It's going to come and you don't know when it's going to come. So... God is calling his people out of this specific city, Babylon, in the future. He's calling them out because judgment is going to come at one point or another. Now, of course, there is an application uh, for you and for me today. This is talking about the future, but God does the same thing for us today in this world. Make no mistake, God will judge sin in the future, he's still in the business of judging sin today. You may not see the effect. Uh, You you know, you you commit sin X, Y, or Z, and you just sort of go about your daily business and, no, nothing happened. Uh, uh, Isn't that great? I didn't get judged immediately. But God knows, and God doesn't forget. He doesn't always automatically judge you for the sins that you commit at the moment that you do. Uh, Sometimes he does. Uh, More often than not, he he doesn't. And even for believers. And why is that? Because he's long-suffering. He's gracious to us. He gives us chances to repent, to change our minds about our sins and stop doing them agree with God when it comes to sin in our lives. But nevertheless, there are consequences for our sins today. There's anxiety, there's disease, there's trouble uh, with the law, potentially. There's trouble with your uh, husband or trouble with your wife. Uh, Sometimes you can even die because of the consequences of sin. So, uh, what are we to do? First thing for us to realize is that we aren't a Babylonian. Uh, we're not of this world, essentially, as believers in this world. I, I, often, I don't want to give you the specific application of how this applies to your life. I can give any number of examples but that example may not apply to you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to convict you, he, and that's what he does. According to Revelation sixteen, he uh, convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's his job. My job is to tell you what the the Bible says. Uh, uh, and there, but there is a very clear uh, general application, and that is that that we are not. Of this world, Paul says in Philippians three seventeen brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us, the apostles and Paul's uh, followers, like Timothy. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Boy, that sounds a lot like these people in Babylon. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So, you know, how ought we to be conducting ourselves knowing that at any moment Christ could come again for us and transform us into his image? Uh, at the rapture of the church. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on this earth. So obviously we are to come out from this world. It's good to be separate from the world. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Paul again says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what is a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The the opposite of that is left unstated. If we come out from the world, and we're separate, and we don't touch the unclean thing, he will welcome us and be with us, but if we don't, guess what? He doesn't welcome us. We won't have fellowship with him uh, in our daily lives, and that needs to be our priority, especially understanding that the time is near. Revelation 13, 11, Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed, I'm telling we uh, look at our articles before Sunday school, and the clock is ticking, people. We are rushing headlong into one world government now. How long is the is the world gonna be under this one world system that we're headed towards before the tribulation begins? I don't know. Uh, I don't think very long if long at all, and we are very close to uh, these events taking place as we have seen. The time is drawing near so we ought to be serious about being separate for the Lord because uh, he is coming again for us at any moment. And notice the critique finally in Revelation 18 and verse 6 this other voice from heaven says, pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds and the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her to the degree that she has glorified herself herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. And'll never see mourning for this reason, and one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Notice first that revenge is the Lord's. Yes, sin has consequences, but when it comes to uh, payback time, that's the Lord's job. For for him to do, he warned the Israelites of the same thing. Vengeance is mine, he says in Deuteronomy thirty-two and verse thirty-five. And retribution in due time. Their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and their impending and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants and when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond and free. Uh, God is the one who is going to carry out this destruction of Babylon in the future. It isn't up to you or to me to do this. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that they're going to get this punishment because they deserve it. Uh, We've seen in Revelation 6, 9 through 10, the fifth seal, speaking specifically of their treatment of God's people. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, we're receiving the answer in Revelation 17 and 18. When these events play out, then the punishment is going to come on the city of Babylon in the world. One of which reasons is because of their treatment of God's people. Uh, we also saw in Revelation 13 7 and uh, 15 that those who refuse to worship the beast in the future are going to pay for it with their lives. Revelation 13 7, it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. This speaking of the future Antichrist and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Verse 15, his uh, sidekick, the false prophet, uh, speaking of him in verse 15, it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Future tribulation period, you refuse to worship the beast, you're going to pay for it with your life, and God is keeping track. He remembers these things and he's going to punish the world for their sins uh, against his people and uh, it's going to be given back to them according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her, verse 6, to the to the degree that she uh, glorified herself And live sensuously to the same degree, give her torment in mourning, verse 7 says. One of her her major sins along with her treatment of God's people is going to be the the glorification of herself. This was really the sin of Babel in the very beginning, Genesis uh, 11 verses one through four was this idea that they were the people of Babylon were setting up their own system absent of God. Oh, we we don't want God anymore. We want to create our own way of life. We want to come up with our own definition of who should be able to have sexual relations with one another. We want to create our own definition of who can marry one another. And we're going to create our own society exclusive of God's word, exclusive of God's rules. And we're going to make a name for ourselves. That's what they did in Babylon. That's what we're doing today. That's what the world is rushing headlong into. Uh, Verse four of Genesis 11, they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. We can make ourselves God. We don't need God anymore. We can just make a big tower and climb up there and pretend to be God's ourselves. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. This was the original sin of Babel or Babylon, and it's the same sin that is going to be punished in the future. There is nothing new under the sun, folks. Uh, In spite of (laughs) the craziness that that we may see, oh, it's never been this bad. Well, yeah, it's always been this bad. In fact, sometimes we're just better at covering it up than others, but the 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 mask, the illusion, is coming off the closer we get to the tribulation period. Uh, Ezekiel twenty eight one through eleven is a description of judgment that's coming to the king of Tyre. It's applied to Satan because it's the same sin. Sa- what did Satan do? He wanted to replace God. He wanted to become God. He had a very lofty view of himself. He desired worship. The king of Tyre had the same problem uh, that he did. People have a tendency to lift themselves up and in the process lower God down. That is the sin of pride, essentially, is what that comes down to. Uh, Isaiah 14 and verse 13 also applied to Satan. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit in the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. This is the same thing that Babylon is doing here, that this uh, city is being pictured of. It's the same thing that the world is doing today, eradicating God, lifting ourselves up, making our own rules, and then punishing slash killing anyone who won't go along with our rules. And this is why this city is going to be punished. Uh, Verse 8, for this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong again this is a punishment that has never happened in the past babylon has never been destroyed in this way and it will be in the future just as described here in revelation 18 just as is described in jeremiah 50 uh Specifically, verses 31 through 34, the Lord says, Behold, I am against you, O arrogant one. Babylon declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The arrogant one will stumble and fall with no one to raise him up, and I will set fire to his cities, and it will devour all all his environs. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the sons of Israel are oppressed. And the sons of Judah as well. And all who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will vigorously plead their case so that he may bring rest to the earth, but turmoil to the inhabitants of Babylon. Jeremiah also describing What's going on in Revelation? The Lord desires to live with His people, but He will eradicate sin before it happens. And so, of course, this is in the future. It would be, well, after today's message, I'm not sure how easy it would be for us to just say, ah, it doesn't have anything to do with me. But just as another reminder, (laughs) it does have something to do with you and with me because the same God who's going to judge Babylon is still in the business of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And there are consequences for sin. So we, we ignore him, we ignore his word, uh, we ignore these facts at our own peril. He desires for us to live in fellowship with him as believers, and he has a way of correcting us when we don't. And that that uh, process, its I wouldn't say it's ever going to be pleasant for you if you find yourself in sin. It's never going to be pleasant to be corrected, but it can be less awful uh, if we submit to him and to his word, and this is probably about the least that we can do as believers. So, what ought our attitude to be? Titus two eleven. Paul says, "For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It's it's out there for all of us. Christ has already accomplished it. All we need to do is trust in what He's done to have our sins forgiven." And at the moment we do that, we have eternal life, but our, but our life has just begun. He wants us to be godly with him. In, in fact, he instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, From every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So he's calling us to live for him today in light of the fact that he's coming again for us at any moment. He desires for us to be a people zealous for good deeds. And the only way we can be zealous for good deeds is to be walking in fellowship with him. And part of the way that we walk in fellowship with him is to be separate from the world. Don't be like the world. Just like God is calling these future believers out of Babylon, he's calling you and me out of this world today so that we can live for him. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ancient text that is so perfectly relevant for us in our situation that we find ourselves in today, 2,000 years after its writing, it still cuts right to our hearts. And uh, just as we know that your word is like a two-edged sword, it is it is sharp and it is powerful and it is able to divide soul and spirit and to... Uh, interpret the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. I just pray that your word and the Holy Spirit would do its work in our hearts today so that we would be purified and that we would be a people who are zealous for good deeds and ready to serve you with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.